You're listening to The Process, where we talk to some of the industry's most talented artists, including film, TV and game. From concept artists to previs to 3D animators and visual effects artists, we talk about a personal project of theirs and take a look at the work that went into them, as well as show an insight into the mind and workflow of each artist. On this episode, I speak once again to a friend of mine, Miran Dilbrovic. We've worked together on films like Tom and Jerry and Jurassic World, both previs and post-vis artists. We talk about Star Wars, Unreal Engine and mental health in the industry. This conversation focuses on a personal project of his. It's a Star Wars speed chase scene. To view the video and any other media we're discussing in this episode, please follow the link in the episode notes. So this is obviously uh, returning back to an episode with yourself. And it's really exciting because we saw um, three bits of content that you were going to talk about. We chose one of being uh, the the Star Wars piece. I mean, happy to talk about the others, but that one I thought, you know, you love Star Wars. Um, It's obviously a passionate project. Uh, It looked epic and cool, and we'd just love to see more about it. But just before we start about that, you know the clip of you um, going to the edge of the cliff and then looking up and the aeroplane flying over and blowing up? The Fit Miran. (laughs) The Fit Miran. Can you you not run that fast? No, 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 no. (laughs) I couldn't find the body shape that represents mine, so I just went with the fittest I could find. (laughs) It looked really cool, man. And I was wondering, it'd be really funny because uh, as we spoke last time on episode one, when you did the Spider-Man looping animation, I said to the guys, as I watched that clip, um, I can imagine that turning into, or somehow engineering it into a loop. So when you run to the edge of the cliff, you look up, see the aeroplane, you go back to your face. Instead of pulling back, if you were to like turn around and then the camera follows you again to the other side of the cliff and then it repeats and then you return and run back and forth and there's constant... It didn't even cross my mind. <laughs> now that you said it, it couldn't be a loop. I knew exactly what... <laughs> but, no, no. It, no. It, was a, it was really cool uh, as it was, but uh, I just but thought of loop. It could have been a loop. But very cool, man. Very cool. And, and was that? I know we're going into the main process of the Star Wars piece. No. But was that? Um, what was that for? That one particularly, just quickly. So, um, I'm. I love previous, and I'm coming from previous, and I haven't done any previous for a few months. And uh, I've been playing with Mesh MetaHuman plugin that's new for you for uh, Unreal Engine, where you can actually scan yourself and create a metahuman of yourself. I was playing with that and then I said, okay, if I have this character, I'm kind of want to create some shots. Let's let me try to create over two days or a weekend as epic shot as I can create with tons of shit happening in it. So just like, yeah, let's go crazy. And I started just running through the jungle and then how, oh, if I have a waterfall, that'd be nice. Okay, when I get a waterfall, what if I have an airplane and explosion? Let's try that. And yeah, that, that was it. First day went amazingly. I went to sleep so happy. <laughs> thinking, oh, tomorrow I'm going to play with the lighting. I'm going to fucking enjoy myself. Yeah. And nothing worked. <laughs> On oh. Sunday, nothing worked. 
like that it was a horrific day but by midnight i've managed to render out something so i was that's the unreal unreal is really amazing but sometimes it can be slow and problematic mm. so when at the beginning it like kills maya in speed and output but when you want to render something up quality it kind of yeah. almost levels up but again you get a better quality than what would you get if rendered from viewport mm -hmm. so yeah <laughs> uh well it turned out how long was that project for how long did you spend on that saturday and sunday oh really yeah so um, uh, you know that that Star Wars piece. That's not um, finished. That's just the first sequence that I've been doing, and I've done a bit more since, but I haven't exported the edits. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's not finished. Everyone uh, works on different workstations and different specs, of course. But what was the one that you? What kind of GPU and stuff did you use? Right. I mean, GPU is the king, right? Yeah, as, of course. As far as I know, and I'm still using. It's a bit old now. 2070s GeForce. Mm -hmm. I think 32 gigs of RAM and uh, Intel i7, some kind of a processor. Mm -hmm. But as you know, GPU is the king now and uh, it helps, especially with this project that I've been working. Um, I've used Maya and Redshift. I didn't use Unreal Engine. And um, to, to get any IPR rendering, you need to have a good GPU. So mm -hmm. that helped a lot. And it sped up the process of rendering the footage out. So it's not like one hour per frame. It's more like five minutes per frame, which is, yeah. yeah. But I'm guessing if, if I was using 3080, 3090, it would be even faster. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And I guess while, while this is playing, Miran, I mean, tell us why. Um, Tell us, yes, let's start with the why. Why Why? Why? Okay. and what made you uh, go with this type of, um, and how did it start? So, Jamie, this is going to be a, a bit of a rant then. That's fine. That's <laughs> great. We want the truth. We want, we want the real, you know. Yeah. So, uh, I've, I've been doing, I've been in love with VFX mostly because um, movies that I saw in the 90s, from T2, Abyss, even Titanic, to be honest, and of course, uh, Star Wars. But I started with prequel trilogy, and then I saw original trilogy. And I loved everything about it. And uh, of course, the man behind it, George Lucas, create, revo revolutionized our industry a few times. And I think most of us have jobs now because, because he put the money where his mouth was, mm -hmm. from digital editing to Pixar, to previous and digital filmmaking in general. Um, I was lucky to work on a Disney on Star Wars movies. And of course, that's a big check in, on a bucket list. But I was not happy. I was not happy how the movies and the TV shows came out because I felt that something was missing. And on top of that, a lot of people are slacking George Lucas and slacking the prequel trilogy, and and I just find that um, not fair. Mm. So uh, when we got episodic Star Wars TV shows, they're like twenty to thirty minutes, so it's not an hour long. And I was not impressed with those. I didn't. I was not impressed with the imaginative scope of it. Like if I just look at the prequels. 
they have such a visual visual language that's like incredible and i haven't seen anything cl come close to it in the new movies and uh yeah because of the slacking of george lucas and everything I, i've decided okay let me try to honor this guy and try to create my episode of a star wars tv show that's in my mind more uh closer to let's say a prequel trilogy than what we have last few years so yeah i began working on this two years ago to be honest and um asset creation was the most time consuming part and then i've uh, yeah slowly started designing shots i did started creating this short before i learned unreal engine and if i knew unreal engine back then i would use it <laughs> but um yeah i'm stuck with maya and redshift for this one just because i have all the assets and converting all the assets to unreal would take time and i hate dealing with assets so that's why I'm still in my and redshift. But yeah, that's the background of it. So, so this is um, Maya and redshift rendered. Yeah, it's not Unreal. Okay, no, that's fine. That's fine. It's yeah, just, it, this it's is really... Maya and redshift. Yeah, yeah. So this this is just um, a sequence that you're just having fun with. Is it anything that's going to be? You know, is it a full episode or is it just a tiny little short? Because you said that it's not finished yet. Yeah, so basically I'm creating a 20-minute episode, mm -hmm. a single episode that should work standalone by itself. It's um, just um, a chase a chase episode, adventurous chase episode with um, some TIE fighter action, some speeders, and yeah. This, what I have right now, is like second sequence of five sequences. And uh, yeah, I'm just... Uh, I've exported, while I edit, I, I've tried to export uh, stuff to, to generally check up how the pacing is going and everything. So I have this second sequence in. I did finish like 10 more shots or eight something, but I haven't edited them yet and exported them because yeah, it's just been busy with other stuff. Oh. But yeah, um, what I'm doing here is I, what I love is using, um, Real camera, real camera. Mm. What I mean by that, I'm using my phone or my iPad to create camera motion. Yeah. So I've learned that in Unreal Engine. And when I saw it, how it works, it works amazingly in Unreal Engine. I said to myself, look, come on, there must be a version software for Maya. And literally I found it. It's amazing. You scan a QR code in Maya when you install the plugin and behold, you have uh, a few ports on your phone. Is it um, Virtucam? It's a 3D camera control. Mm -hmm. But I know there's there's another name on it for it online because people who are people who created it became big VFX studio who won Oscar with all the rest of the companies for June. They're a small boutique studio. Ah. Wise is it Wisecam? Wisecam, I think. Yeah. Or Wise Studio. But anyways, yeah. Um, even the guy who owns the studio reached out when I... Oh, because I use the camera for Spider-Man short. I yes. Spider-Man short. I use it there. Um, and when I when I uploaded that Reddit or somewhere, he saw it, he was... Oh, somebody's using this. Ah, cool, man. We made an article about it. And yeah, that's what we did. Brilliant. Because you talk about... Because you're from a previous background, of course, and you still want... Um, and 
more than that. Um, did you just block out the cameras with just a still camera and then layer on this um, feel of camera? Basically, I started, I created a camera in Maya and then I linked the camera to my phone and then I just started exploring. I, you need to have a basic animation of the scene and then rough you have to have rough animation just to know what you're following, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you have that, I just play with it. And uh, sometimes I create 20 cameras just in one session because it's yeah. that interactive. And I guess we do this kind of stuff because we are filmmakers in heart, right? Mm -hmm. This allows you to be finally like one man band filmmaker. Yeah. So I can't recommend it enough. And um, yeah, sometimes you need to keyframe your camera by hand. That's fine. But if you have any opportunities to use this kind of stuff, I totally recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, um, it that's the thing with uh, cameras. You cannot beat that realistic, especially if you're going for that feel. You can't beat having realistic camera movement, you know, and that's a great way to do it. And you know what? Talking of that, I watched, as with many people did, um, Toy Story 4. Have you seen mm -hmm. Toy Story 4? Yeah. So, obviously, there's a gap of like four or five years or whatever it is from Toy Story 3 to Toy Story 4. They always look beautiful. Um, when I started watching Toy Story 4, there was something for me, I was like, whoa, there's something going on here. And, you know, at the start where they're outside of the house and it's raining and it's a bit of a, you know. Yeah. I remember watching and thinking, whoa. Like, I know that technology advances over years and they're using different techniques and the quality is always going to get more and more. But there's something about that sequence that really made me like, whoa, there's something definitely different going on here, right? And I was like, there's something that just looks so real and a next level of quality. But I didn't know at the time, but I noticed it instantly. Uh, and not that long ago, I was sort of watching um, uh, something about filmmaking and they, they referred to Toy Story 4. Yeah. Uh, they used kind of replicated real life cameras and bokeh and movement and film back they kind of i don't know the ins and outs of it but they replicated more real life cameras in a digital world and it really shows um and it's down to like even the most subtle things but they make massive differences um so there's nothing that it can be beaten when it comes to that feel of a real camera if that's what you're going for of course, and I think everybody is going for it, but some people are more successful, some are less. Yeah. And I know exactly what you're saying. And that there's that undeniable texture of film, celluloid, and lenses that they mm. use, amorphic lenses or, uh, yeah. So um, in the last 10 years, our rendering softwares have incorporated abilities for us to use either, um, much, much more. It's much more accessible than it was before. Basically, mm -hmm. use like real-world lenses, distortions, chromatic aberrations. Play with um, bokeh. Try to get because we know everybody loves anamorphic lens and anamorphic bokeh, so it's really easy to recreate that now. And uh, for this thing, for this piece, I went because I loved the, the Phantom Menace. It was still shot on film, although there's one sequence in there that's shot on shot digital. But I love the look of it, and I think the VFX in it still stand out, stand, can stand up 
or today's standards because there's that transfer that happens uh, when you scan film, when you scan VF, visual effects shot and you scan it on film, you get that quality of film that's that's there and VFX look even better. So I try to recreate the, the look of it. So I know I went and saw the exact uh, screen ratio of the, I've uh, went into Nuke and recreated the, some lens distortions for the anamorphic lenses that they've used. And yeah, I, Redshift gives you an option, lens distortion, put it here, bokeh, put it there. And yeah, so you can see on some of these shots, there's a bit of a curvature to it and it's more wider and yeah, but it's all about mimicking Phantom Menace look, yeah. but that Phantom Menace look is film look. Nice. What was the what were the challenges that you face when you were you know with this project? You said about the other project, one day things just didn't work. Was there anything that you remember on this job or or this project that you were like, this is a real pain in the ass? Or is there any challenges that you overcame? Yeah, I think you're, you're gonna know the answer. Assets, yeah. assets, assets. Especially now working in UE five, you have mega scans and bridge library on your disposal. Just creating the character, creating the costume, ringing it properly. Like it's just pain in the ass. Creating terrain. Yeah. Uh, as a one man band, it's it's it sucks to create that. Um, uh, I did uh, for rigging part uh, a friend Giovanni Simon. Giovanni Simono. He is um rigger and asset guy that worked with us on at proof he helped me out a bit with rigging especially with the facial rig which now in ua5 you have it with three clicks but for this you had to manually rig all the joints but yeah assets 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 especially yeah. now that you know what you can do in some other software yeah how was it when you were you know when you've got this idea in your head and you go, oh yeah, it's going to be a chase sequence and I'm going to do this, there's a one-man band. Obviously, you know that I'm doing it in my, I'm going to have to build the assets and things. Um, it's always tempting to just get to the stage of shot creation and doing that stuff because it's the fun bit, yeah. I feel, you know. Um, how long did you spend creating those assets before you even started a shot or was you kind of dipping in and out with kind of, one day I'll make something, and the next day I'll just want to put in a camera and a cube. And, do you know what I mean? I that balance. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean, but no. I think I started this uh, beginning of 2020. You and I both worked, worked on Arcadia at that point. I remember mm. that. And I think it took me four months until I started playing with the camera. Mm. So that's like a four painful months of that, like... Yeah. Every time you have some free time, you want to spend after work sitting on a computer, you need to like push yourself mentally to do it. Mm -hmm. And then to do it, to create stuff, create assets that you really don't care about and yeah. like, it was really like, oh, come on, mental struggle. Let's, let's do this. Because there's light um, at the end of the tunnel. And yeah, after four months, I started playing with the cameras. And even though not all the assets were ready, I was just, fuck it, I need mm -hmm. to do it talking about having to sort of the process of modeling these characters and you know texturing them and then before you can even start doing the filmmaking side of things uh how would it happen now with if you were to 
if you were to do this in Unreal Engine and the easy of, I'm just going to download this pack and I can get a landscape and the world building side of things is a lot more sort of efficient and free-flowing, would you say, to, to get up to and running with shot creation? I think so, definitely. And I already mentioned Megascans and the bridge library. But basically what I have is a desert planet with the gooey ocean. It's not a water ocean, it's like a gummy thing. But creating deserts, you go on a bridge, you find desert, you go on a marketplace, you'll find five examples of three deserts. And then you can just change the color if you need, or change the normal map if you want it to be a bit more rough, or I don't know. Here you need to go like create from basic. You need to implement all the diffuses, uh, speculars, bumps, and normal maps, and tile it up, switch it up, duplicate it change the tiles again yeah it's just instead of using bridge and drag and drop in it in like two minutes mm -hmm. you need to spend 10 or 15 minutes on single asset so yeah and the same thing goes with the characters um especially this meta uh meta human thing is i think you'll you'll also say the same thing it really revolutionized the way we can now finally play with the digital characters mm -hmm. and rig as we started as an animator and you had to find free rigs online because you didn't have money, you didn't have time. And I know there was a Morpheus rig. It's a doll rig in Maya that I downloaded 20 years ago and I stuck with it for 10 years at least. Yeah. Cause yeah, there was nothing better than that. <laughs> and now we can have it like yeah. instantly open MetaHuman editor and Download yeah, it. download and, and go. So when you were talking about the characters and stuff for this project, were you like literally fully modeling and rigging them or was there any processes of like, uh, can, could you at least find a base mesh of a Stormtrooper or something and modify it and then use like Mixamo or some mocap? How was that process for this project in particular? Yeah, exactly. So what I did is uh, I didn't model, character-wise character, character -wise, I didn't model anything because mm. I'm not a model maker. So I found everything that's free online from a free Stormtrooper that I've then readjusted. I didn't remodel his helmet, but I've just, oh, let me add this thing, this thing, let me just uh, make his eyes a bit uh, smaller. Uh, just, yeah. I've Slight kit tweaks. Kit yeah, kitbash, that's, that's the fun. Yeah, that's, yeah. That is fun, yeah. And I know one of the comments, <laughs> one of the comments from one of the groups when I've um, shared this video was like, he said, one guy said, it's like I'm watching a Chinese knockoff of Star Wars from 1980s. <laughs> and I was like, yes, thank you. That's what I wanted. Brilliant. Yeah, that is, that is true. And I guess to the hardcore um, people out there, they would just tear it apart and go, that's not Star Wars. You can't do that. But the power of an independent filmmaker doing what they want, you can do whatever the hell you want. Exactly. You know? Whatever is stuck in your head, you can put it out yeah and and was that something um i mean i'm no star wars buff and i have no uh, you know my knowledge of it is base not basic but i'm no star wars nerd like geek I, I didn't i'm not into the world of star wars as much as many people but the purple bits is that was that something creative that you wanted to have a bit of fun with you know those sort of like gloopy moments gooey, with, gooey, with the gooey, gooey stuff gooey ocean yeah how did that come about and was that just think oh that'll be fun fun to just put that in or 
Is that something that's in the history of Star Wars? I am clueless, so I apologize for my. No, no, no. That's where I'm. I'm, I'm unfortunately, I know way too much. Um, so there's an um, infamous Star Wars Star Wars holiday from 1977 or eight, which had Chewbacca's family, Wookiee family, singing and dancing and everything. It's like an hour long show. George hates it, fans hate it, everybody like, but it still lives on. But that one hour show had a 10 minute cartoon. And that cartoon had like um, first appearance of Boba Fett. And uh, the cartoon is amazing. I love it. And there's this planet that they land on, which has a gooey ocean. And I just like the fun of it. Because mm. for me, Star Wars is for kids, for 10 to 12 year old kids. And I, I don't like when they create TV shows or Star Wars movies, which are for adults. It's Star Wars. It's like Jedis with lightsabers, spaceships. It, it's a kid's story. And I just wanted that fun element of a kid's story in, in my Star Wars universe. That's why I just like, let, let's do a gooey ocean that creates like, whenever you shoot it, it creates this energy build up and burst. So it poof, pops like a balloon. So yeah, that's where the idea came, came oh, from. I just want to, yeah, just want to have fun with it. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I was just wondering, maybe he's just completely made it up or there's an Easter egg somewhere to something in the history of, yeah, whether yeah. it's a comic book or, uh, you know, something from, from way back that George Lucas hates. Um, <laughs> Star Wars special that fans hate it. And yeah, that's yeah. my Easter egg. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I, I guess, yeah, Star Wars is full of that. And when you talk about like, yeah, it is for that age range and... You know, I guess as kids grow up to adults, it's not necessarily still an, like a new market for adults because that inner child for the fans that loved it growing up will always remain in a 50-year-old or a 60-year-old. You know, they should always remain like, I grew up watching this as a kid. I enjoyed it as a kid. I shouldn't think now, oh, it's, you know, it needs to be made a bit more mature for me because... Fans like that always have that that inner child, um, and yeah, you should have fun and and and, exactly. why not? and and there's a great it's a great message for young kids. There's this hero journey, and doing good in life will reward itself somehow. And it's a simple tale. Like we 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 read Hans Christian Andersen as a similar stories and this is just more visual mm. way of telling that kid's story yeah yeah absolutely what what was the um going back to like your process on this was there much sort of post work for this or did you i know you rented it in redshift and you've got a certain like workflow and stuff similar to the spider-man piece was it the same type of workflow for like post like motion blur was that all was there a big part of it in the render yeah, so as much as you can get in render, the final image will look better. I've used physical-based motion blur for this thing, uh, physical-based depth of field, which is render heavy. takes a lot of time to render it out, but just looks great. And you can control the depth of field the way you want it. And then what I used 
where I did it in post is again get that filmic look is a specific uh, color emulation and specific film grain of course and some aspects like chromatic aberration and just some film damage now and then just to make it look a bit more, more filmic and i love that process it's like really it's a bit painterly to be honest because you can have a certain freedom shot by shot of course you need to have consistent colors color palette and and all that stuff but still you can play with them with the texture of the mm. shot so, and that's yeah like a, there's a painterly quality in comp that you can do and play with details that are not that obvious when you see it, especially on YouTube. So, so what about animation side of things? How did you um, go about working on a character animation? And was it hand animated, mocap? What was the? Yeah, so animation is all hand animated. Uh, no mocap except the camera, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I can. Um, I don't. I don't use Unreal now. With Unreal, I can have motion AI with the four iPhones shoot myself shoot myself <laughs> don't myself. don't shoot yourself don't shoot myself <laughs> yeah with most uh, with move AI I can use four iPhones record myself and after 90 minutes I can get that at the X of my data I didn't have that because it's Maya and uh, and uh, unreal so all hand animated and yeah I do less and less hand animation these days so this is a, an outlet. You just keep in touch with it. Yeah. So never, yeah. never forget it. Never forget it. But still, you have like, oh god, this takes a long time yeah. to get that good quality of animation. In previous, we can get away with any yeah. kind of animation. But if you want something more subtle, you need to play mm -hmm. with it. Definitely, yeah. it's difficult to to get it going and you think you know and there's times where you think i just want to go to bed or it's been a rough time. but it's that push through to kind of not just quit and go oh it was a ball like to get it finished um is it's a it's a difficult thing man and uh, clearly uh, it's not stopped you miran for, for, for no but anymore, the thing is i've put content like yours on my tv and Start working without it. Oh, really? Um, yeah, like the core, the crew guys, and just can't find enough of it. Yeah. But that's what gives me motivation to do an extra bit and work. And that's why I'm, yeah, first of all, thankful they're giving me another chance to do it. And I'm completely different circumstances now. I'm, I was last year in Croatia in a totally different situation and everything now I'm here working on something else so yeah it's much it's different yeah, yeah. well glad to have you back Mirat is there anything I guess it's a typical question anything that you would do differently I think I know now that there's an Unreal Engine side that would help do this but would you ever go back into the Maya Redshift workflow or anything moving forward with videos and content that you create, is it more, I'm just going to go Unreal Engine and new new uh, methods? Or are you, do you still like to do the Maya Redshift workflow and maybe a bit of Unreal Engine? Or Yes. Look, Unreal Engine is great, especially 5 and the newest versions that we are testing and everything is speeding out the process. But we love 
photorealism in our pictures and we love VFX and uh, still need to push the Unreal Engine really hard to get that quality while workflow in Maya with from Arnold, Renderman, Redshift or VRA, you can get that photoreal quality maybe quicker. Uh, not quicker because render times are bigger, of course, but you can dial in that quality. The Unreal Engine has a certain limit, uh, limitations. Those limitations are disappearing every year with every new update, but we are still not there yet. So I like to keep my tabs on Maya and uh, that workflow. And especially, I read a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff from the new movies to see how they they're being rendered out, what kind of techniques they they use, and of course, it's all based on rendering techniques, utilizing GPU data, scans, and everything. Yeah, there's a shift going on with everything. The sets are being now scanned much more easily than they were before, and that data is used then to create nice images. So, yeah. There's a lot of new stuff happening on both sides, which is mm -hmm. amazing. Uh, and I guess with un, like I said, Unreal Engine, the all the, the big gripe that many people have is, you know, creating something that doesn't feel like a video game cinematic or a video game feel to it. Um, and you know, I guess when you're doing like the traditional not traditional, but the, the methods of rendering and using a render engine, uh, like Redshift or Octane or whatever, uh, you know, renderer you use, you, you would never get the video game comment. It's always Unreal Engine, be careful of that feel or look to it because it can easily just be present in people's work. Um, and, you know, with, with the technology that people are using at the moment, within you know virtual production and you know trying to show off oh look at us we're doing like virtual production so you know that camera move where oh let's have a shot where we can just rotate around somebody really slowly for like a long period of time and just try and show the vfx virtual production side but without you know it's kind of letting the technology be the forefront rather than just having that organic, you know, we've got the technology, but let's not try and show that we're using that technology. Let's just make it feel fluid and as real as possible. And, and guess, part of the story. And the story, yeah, story is key, of course, yeah. and not, not let's just try and show off the VFX stuff. You know, if you're just doing testing and, like, demoing R&D, by all means, but there's many projects where people, it, it becomes a kind of forefront and the filmmaking no, no, becomes the backseat, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, we can take IC, ICV effects, in-camera visual effects, for example, because that, that's been popular the last few years, right? And we've, we've seen that usage in different shows and movies, and you can see the, the quality differs mm. immensely. And the same thing goes with Unreal Engine. As itself, if you want to use it for a photoreal thing, you can, but you need to approach it in a different way. For example, in in camera VFX, you have, um, of course, Mandalorian and Obi Wan Kenobi is one of the last TV shows. But you can see the wall. You can see where the set ends yeah. and the wall begins. Mm -hmm. But then 
you have the Batman. Matt Reeves Batman. Oh man, yeah. You can't see mm-hmm. where they use it because they use it smartly. They've yeah. used foreground elements that yeah. hide every imperfection that you get from the screen. Mm-hmm. And by do, using it that way, you solve it. Yeah. It's not about the screen itself, it's about the image and the story that you're looking at. That's so it. The same thing goes with uh, Unreal Engine. I think you can create a photoreal thing, but you can, oh, is that real or not? Who like CG animation? But you need to approach it wisely. That's mm-hmm. the thing. Just approach it wisely and make steps that you need to make to hide imperfections yeah. and to get away with it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, talking of the Batman, and that's a great you know, example of yeah, being smart with the, the filming techniques and using technology where it's useful or where it benefits the, the thing rather than becoming the that's the priority you know let's just add, and it's the vfx that you never really question you know and obviously when you watch the batman there's going to be a lot of vfx but i watched that movie and it felt just it felt like a real place the majority of it felt really believable and i remember just watching i think there was the shot obviously being aware of virtual production thinking okay yeah there's going to be a bunch of shots here that you just know that there's going to be screens and stuff like that the only one that made me question it was you know where he's in the um the uh, apartment block and it's just silhouette just looking out at the city yeah and i thought because it was a super nice wide like cityscape i thought that's got to be a screen i don't know if it is but um, only because I was kind of looking for it. Yeah, you can't achieve like that sun at that position. Yeah. You can have it for two minutes per day. Yeah. And you have that for like five minutes. That's, yeah, that's a screen. Yeah. That's the most maybe obvious. Yeah, that, 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 was, that, that was the one that was like, oh, okay, here we go. I've got a, but it, there was one memorable thing. Whereas you watch many other shows and films and you think, oh, they're, it's forced in as much as possible when it's not always needed. It's there to benefit moments, yeah. um, but not not become like, how can we film this film, but just do it all on screens because you're gonna, it's gonna stand out like a sore thumb. I think. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the better use cases in Batman is saw it in the trailer when Penguin drives a car, the car chase sequence, and. We are looking at Penguin's face and we can see the Batman going through the trucks and cars and everything. And it's raining. And I thought, because I saw some behind-the-scenes stuff, that they really shot some car chases and a real highway and everything. And then I went in-depth and saw real making of and saw behind-the-scenes. They 80% of the character stuff there was shot on screen. And it was done so nicely you had sparks rain lights acting properly above above uh, the car that the joker drove drove yeah and it just feels like you're there the, the oh yeah the camera micro vibrations of the camera like they went so in it and yeah. you can see like when there's explosion on screen camera vibrates a bit even though that's explosion on screen so the level of detail that went yeah. through it sell it it's magnificent yeah i guess going back to your piece Miran, you know how are you proceeding with that project now are you how many minutes have you done so far and what's the plans to yeah so i have like uh 
two and a half minutes of footage, uh, more previous. Um, and I'm taking my time. Whenever yeah. I have inspiration, I go back to it. And sometimes it's like two months in a row, I'm going to work, work, work on it. And then two months not touching it and doing, yeah. I'm doing, uh, another short, which is more like, uh, personal, uh, short, uh, it's done in Unreal 5 and I'm exploring the, of course, photorealism in Unreal 5 and everything. So I have those two things that I've switched. Uh, sometimes it's Star Wars show, Star Wars short, sometimes it's Unreal. So yeah, I'm mixing it up and yeah, I just, um, it's an ode and thank you to Lucas. So whenever it's done, gonna be done and you know the, the thing about our job is we always look look forward to when we are done with something and we can watch it but then when we are done and we are watching it we remember that the best time we had was while we made it yeah i'm trying to be obvious of that so every time i have time and i'm doing it i'm trying to enjoy it even more with that thought that yeah this is the time that you're gonna enjoy it now so yeah no i'm not yes, before in my first episode but yeah that's really important stuff did you storyboard uh this at all or was it just on the fly yeah i have a big notebook that i've um a small thumbnail storyboards for like the first half of the movie i storyboarded but of course as soon as i start playing with my virtual camera you can't help but come <laughs> up with 10 new cool shots to go in and find. exactly but look, the storyboards are giving you a great basis to just, mm. like for example, it's a chase sequence, and you need to always constantly be aware where the camera is and where the characters are traveling. So in my case, it's always right to left, right to left, right mm -hmm. to left, and at a certain point, I I switch it up because I need an over-the-shoulder shot of Stormtrooper shooting with his right hand, but you need to switch it at the right moment and you need to show that you're crossing the line and everything. Yeah. So that kind of stuff, it's already done in the notebook and I'm aware of those kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Chase sequences are really interesting in that regard because you want to have the sense of geography and what's going on. And if it's, and uh, I like to, uh, to let some of the shots breathe a bit more. Mm. It's not really choppy and cutty. It's not like shot, 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 shot. I like to push it a bit more. Which is again an older style of filmmaking because back then you couldn't just yeah <laughs> shot so many shots and then edit it analogly <laughs> that easy. You had to be yeah very smart with your shot choice. Did did you have any um, like ref? Was there any inspiring sort of moments from cinema or TV shows or comic books that you um, use reference for this type of chase sequence? I know there's million of chase sequences out there. Was there any ones that you thought? this shot from Mad Max or this Star Wars sequence I really want to have in this sequence? Of course, the, the Ben-Hur was... George was inspired by Ben-Hur when he did Pod Race. Mm. George Lucas is a big racing fan and his American Graffiti is all about yeah. race cars and he loves Formula One and I love Formula One. And uh, I watch that rigorously and some of the shots are copies of the Formula One shots of tracking stuff. So yeah, I would say, of course, the chase sequence, Padre sequence in Phantom Menace, mm -hmm. mix it up with Formula One. 
That's great. That's a great combination. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Cause look, um, it's super dynamic, super dynamic and sometimes very cinematic for a sport. Mm-hmm. And I just love anything that I can use it for my own work. I just like dreaming of driving it, but recreating it in a different way. So this play blast is me playing, just trying to figure out the camera positions and movements for this shot. And you can see the progress of this shot from the camera to more advanced camera and the final render. Talking about uh, chase sequences, we've got a guy, uh, a young lad who's like 17 year old, super um, passionate about robots and action and all cool sci-fi stuff. It was just, I just want to make a cool chase sequence, right? There's plenty of cool shots. There's plenty of really nice renders and action and, you know. But now he's struggling to finish it. So he's trying to fudge in the story (laughs) after the sequence. And he doesn't know how to end it because he didn't start with the idea of Of the the story. He just wanted to make something that looked cool. But then... He can't finish it. So where's the advice to sort of story first and then of course the cool stuff? I, uh, or, or is it always kind of a bit of both at uh, times? Look, if I said it's always story first, then I would be lying. If yeah. You want to make cool stuff. And that's the, oh, I want this shot. And, I, and sometimes you think, oh, this will be really cool. And then you do naturally just build the story off it. And with many filmmakers, that is the case at times, you know. Story kind of develops at times from moments. Exactly. You know. I have heard. I watched the pod, heard the podcast, watched the podcast recently. Can't remember what filmmaker said this, but he spoke with James Cameron about how he shoots his stuff and how he conceives. Because James Cameron's action scenes are the best. Let's be honest. From T two, mm-hmm. Aliens, everything. And this filmmaker asked Jim, like, Jim, do you, like, first create story, right? And then you write an action sequence around that story? He said, fuck no. (laughs) In Avatar, I just wanted to see cool shots of them doing dragons. And then I put a love story in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So you do that kind of stuff. If, If Jim can do it, then maybe we can. Also. Absolutely, man. Uh, Absolutely. And it's easy to make cool shit. It's not easy to make stuff that people like and love. That's exactly. Yeah. Separate thing. And in this case, I have a rough story around it. It's about guy who, who who finds relics in the Star Wars universe. By relics, speeders and all the small starfighters and starships, and he sells them off. So that's my like story arc for this guy. He's basically yeah, but that guy, seventeen years old. I told yeah. him last time like he better change his life because if he continues, like, I know, this, I know, he needs to balance yeah. it out. Balance is key. Yeah. We tell him this every single time. I'm like Nishan, what are you doing tonight? Maybe tonight, just relax and just don't have that on your brain and and go for walks. And tr- the balance is so important because health number one health. Uh, is is always first, you know. No, um, I, I just want to mention that thing because um, we've been talking, and the process is about process of creating art, right? Mm-hmm. But it's all coming from uh, 
from our own experiences in life, right? And uh, the healthier your lifestyle is, the more balanced your head is, mm. your art will be com more complete. That's my view. I, I, I just think that uh, we don't talk about it that much. And just, right. and especially in VFX industry and film industry, people are overworking yeah. times because they're chasing, okay, I'm junior, I'm going to be mid. I'm going to be, uh, when I'm mid, I'm going to be senior. I'm, after senior, I need to be elite, right? Mm. Uh, and it's never ending story of chasing yeah. money and chasing positions. Yeah. Where you lose is time, family, and balance. Yeah. And um, even though we've been talking now about creating shorts and stuff, it's so important that you just go out, travel. Definitely. Get a beer, hang out with friends. Yeah. It's as important as anything else. So I just. Definitely. Something no, that's a that's a great point to finish on, actually, um, Miran. And the the last time I last week when um, Nishan was in, I said to him, you know, we were talking about this on the way to the train station, and I said, you know, exactly what you've just said. If you've got a, you know, you're feeling good and you you're well rested and you're you know not burnt out because he was talking about burnt out. He was he was thinking. The other week, was I burnt out? He's kind of questioning, like, yeah, I was really tired then. Is that burnout? What is burnout? How, um, you know, severe can burnout be? And I just said, to try and avoid it, look, if your uh, mindset is clear, you're well-rested, you go for walks and you get fresh air and you exercise, you know, do all this for yourself first. That's going to have a better impact on any project and any work that you do, even if it's like, I'm going to spend an hour tonight doing some work, but I've had a nice relaxing evening. And then to the end, end of the night, I'm just going to do some work before bed. That's fine. But if you're in the routine of working all day, working all night, that is just feels to me like a like a complete recipe for disaster. Uh, and it's not healthy. And the uh, results are going to show, you know. Yeah, Jamie, I can't stress enough how <laughs> right you are what you're saying. And you can test it on yourself. If you are on a computer working on something and, if, and you go to sleep, you're not going to be able to shut down your brain immediately. You need at least two hours from yeah. intense mind work to get a nice uh, nice sleep routine. And yeah. without that sleeping routine, you are dead and dusted. Yeah. But yeah, and, and one more short thing that I, I think is important because a lot of our industry works remote, remotely now. And mm -hmm. I think we are only now seeing the effects of that remote work now, especially not just that you're not um, a better artist because you're not in an environment that's um, pushing you because you're at home alone in your room doing it, but there's the social aspect of it all. Um, and when you finish work and you just exit your bedroom or your workroom and you are still in your flat, yeah, it's messing up with your system a lot. So. Um, I know there's a lot of people who don't want to go out and work from the studio or from the office. I would recommend that's needed, especially at least two times a week or something. Yeah. I can see it on myself. I worked from home almost a year and I couldn't do it as soon as I moved from home. I just, my breathing was better, but breathing, mm -hmm. breathing just knowing how to communicate with people better, just, and my skills. Yeah. Evolved that much yeah. Better. There's more, there's more, there's more that you get from it than just, 
work it's it's the social side it's the yeah interactions you know there's a lot there's a lot more that you gain from uh being in a, a creative space with actual people uh, yeah. at, at least a couple times a week and you know it works for some people it doesn't work for others but yeah i i i agree with you absolutely miran um i remember working from home for a long time and the the work day would end at like you know five o'clock and then the machine would go off and then number one i haven't detached myself yet because i'm still in the same room as the machine there's no like time to sort of digress not digress but kind of switch off over yeah. time and then there's no transition into evening mode for me there was oh let's should we have a beer and then that was kind of like the transitional like the work they would end and to sign off and then it would turn into let's have a few beers in the house in the same room just to kind of feel like there's a transition it's not the healthiest way to do it but how do you separate um work from 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 the house a good one just to finish i'm sorry this no, no, talk, no, 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 guys, i think this is really important in the yeah. process of things these things mm -hmm. these topics are important so yeah definitely um there was there was a guy that was working from home a couple of years ago and he worked fortunately he had a, a nice sort of shed in the garden a uh, nice office space that's in his own garden but what he would do is he would get up in the morning get ready he would get into his car and drive 10 minutes <laughs> and then come back to his front garden, park at the side of the house, go down to the garden, work. And then when he would finish work, he got into his car, he would drive for 10 minutes and then come back and park on his drive and go into his house. I think that's genius. I think that is a very great thing to have a discipline to do instead of just going, oh, I'm just going to go into the house. It's that separation and that mental detachment from that intense work day i think exactly and that's that tells so much about that person having mm -hmm. that discipline like you said yeah and uh, i think we just realize now how much traveling from office to to home really means mm -hmm. we always bitched about it because oh, mm -hmm. i'm traveling an hour door to door and i am actually our door to door but it's a buffer zone where yeah. you need to cool down yeah if you work in London, for example, like my office is in Soho, I travel to my train station through Soho, you see faces, you see pubs, sometimes you go into the pub yeah. with your colleagues, yeah. go into the train, 20 minutes in the train, listening to music, thinking about your stuff in your hand. Yeah, you get inspired, you come up with ideas, you and interact, exactly. you, yeah, anything is, can happen and that's a great period to... Uh, be creative if you have a creative outlet you can write stuff you can read stuff you can yeah just, use it just chill have time for myself yeah or chill yeah or yeah. chill music and just think yeah. about nothing and that's yeah. an amazing buffer zone and only after we lost it we felt it we felt the impact that actually uh traveling from home really how much it really means to you so yeah yeah definitely. this situation is a shitty situation but uh, if you can learn from it amazing and i think yeah, people are learning bit by bit yeah absolutely man i agree um that's really interesting so, yeah say like very important to talk about and i'm sure we'll talk about it uh, more uh on future episodes with other people because it's it's a great just to see real people's experiences especially working on projects outside of the work zone because 
you know, not people have, not everyone detaches themselves and they still want to do more. So there's even more of a balance to have with personal projects and work projects, of course. So Exactly. And uh, the impact of you learning so much more on your personal projects and then using that knowledge yeah. for a professional career, <laughs> it's amazing because you already yeah. done it for yourself and now I'm just leveraging it yeah uh, on my job it's amazing so yeah um knowledge 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 the power of knowledge the power of knowledge yeah yeah it's cheesy fucking thing but it is nice one miran well thank you for your time and absolute pleasure as always um and we'll speak to you very soon man and all the best yeah thanks man thanks okay pleasure anytime miran enjoy your beers enjoy your cigar and i'll catch you soon yeah jamie see you thank you take care man all the best miran bye buddy oh that's real good That's it for my conversation with Miran Dilbrevik. If you're looking for more conversations like this and can't wait for the next episode, head over to our YouTube channel at Big Tooth Studios or follow the link in the episode description. 